We're so glad to have some visitors here today. God bless you so much. It's just great to have you come by and be with us. Can we just give them a hand and show them that we are just thankful that they're here. God bless them. God bless them. God bless them. Amen. Amen. Let's let's go to this morning. I, I don't know if I'm going to preach, you know, enthusiastically um, or teach as much as preach, but we're going to have some good times this morning. Praise the Lord. God is good. Hallelujah. He always sets a table before us. David said he sets a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I don't count all you enemies this morning, but I do believe every time we gather, God sets a table. Do you believe that? And then it's up to us to eat. Now, the Lord doesn't take, you know, well, Hebrews, the uh, sixth chapter in the first, I'm just, this is for free right here. This doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going to speak about. But it says, um, the fifth chapter says, uh, for indeed, because the time you were due to be teachers, you have need that someone teach you again the rudiments or the beginnings of the oracles of God. And you have become in need of milk and not solid food, for everyone partaking of milk is not skilled in the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for those full-grown, having exercised their faculties through habit for distinguishing both good and bad, therefore leaving the discourse of the beginning of Christ, let us be born on to full growth. God sets a table, but I just certainly hope he's not setting up a bunch of milk bottles for us this morning. I think we're smarter than that. We should be. The time when you should have been teachers. So I got nothing to teach. I got to go back and start over. And so this is why we continue line upon line, precept on precept. This is why we continue to expand. We leave the discourse, not that we abandon the origins of, of the beginnings of teaching of Christ. We don't abandon that. But we build on that and go on. Everybody say amen. And so we're going to do that this morning. I'm going to, to shock you a little bit because I do not preach on this and, and have not preached on it probably, I don't know, years and years, I guess. But I'm going to preach about the second coming of the Lord. I'm going to throw you all a curve this morning. Throw you all a curve. You might need a piece of paper and a pencil, pen. Let me tell you something. I have to do a disclaimer when I come to certain issues in Scripture. And my disclaimer is, I'm going to preach to you to the best of my knowledge and the light that I have in Scripture. And you have the right to take a pencil and paper and write things down and study it later. You got that right. Because I'm not your master. I'm not your rabbi. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a preacher. And so we're going to do that. And But I am going to preach in the light that I have. And so I want, if you'll go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and I want to read, uh, <clears throat> said, oh boy, I'm going to read for the trumpet will sound. No, I'm not reading that part. It's 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and the 46th verse. Just this one verse. <clears throat> but not the spiritual first but the natural. Afterward, the spiritual. Now, why I took that right out of the middle of something, you'll find out. A little later on, you'll find out. I need to go to the Old Testament book of Joel. We've been looking in the scripture for Christ in the Old Testament. We've been studying that at length and have found some wonderful, wonderful passages. David 
We're leaving David this morning. I want to go to uh, the prophet Joel. And I want to look at uh, the second chapter, 27th verse. I'll read this carefully. <clears throat> and you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, or in the Hebrew, I am Yahweh. And none else. <clears throat> and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward. Everybody say afterward. <clears throat> oh, we just read that. We just read that little phrase there in, in Corinthians. The natural first and then afterward. The spiritual. Okay. And it shall come to pass afterward. That I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and old men shall dream dreams, and young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And then I just want to read this last little stanza of this chapter. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be. Uses the word delivered here, but it's the same word as in the New Testament. Saved. Shall be saved. And so now we need to go to the New Testament, Acts, the second chapter. We read Joel, the second chapter, and I want to read Acts, the second chapter, and uh, beginning at the 16th verse. So we just did just a little reading. And um, <clears throat> the 16th, here, here, here we go, here we go. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And I will pour out my spirit upon my servants, slave girls, in those days, and they shall prophesy. Then I want to read the 21st verse. And it shall be that everyone who shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, there'll be some wonders in the heaven above and miracles in the earth beneath blood and fire. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great notable day of the Lord. But it shall be, this is that, and it shall be that everyone who shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. So I want to preach to you about the second coming this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light to our path. We can't go without you, Lord. I mean, we could shoot in the dark and we could come up with philosophies and ideas, but really, really, if we are to find you, it's going to be through the revelation of your word and who you are, Lord. So we ask you, God, enlighten it in our spirit. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So I'm a little boy, and I am being raised in church. I said last week I grew up, I don't know a time when I wasn't in church. <clears throat> I'm a little boy that, like all the other little Pentecostal boys, we just are putting things together in our head from what we've heard. I mean, those that's been raised in church are sometimes the hardest to, to really bring to any kind of other understanding than what they already got. And the reason for that is we just kind of settle things in our heart and, and that's the way things are and we got it figured out. So as I'm hearing the uh, preaching of the second coming, I know what it's about. Begin to understand it, the little older I get. It's referring to end times and rapture. We know that to be the, key, the call words of the second coming. Of which the majority of the credit belongs to John Darby. John Darby, born 1800 in about the 30s, he begins to minister in the 
Presbyterian Brethren movement. And John Darby heard some other people, his mind began to expand on some things that he thought was revelation of God. And he came up with some doctrines, one of them called dispensationalism. Dispensationalism takes the Bible and cuts it into dispensations or times. So starting way back with Adam, the Antediluvians, and then there was times of Old Testament things. There were times, and then finally the church in time and end times. And then he came up with the rapture doctrine. I'm going to address this just a tiny bit because that's not where I'm going this morning. The rapture doctrine is an invention of John Darby. I want you to know that. Before the time of John Darby, they did not preach rapture. Before the 1800s. However, what he taught and what he preached was very convincing to the people. Widely received. Widely received. And, And what's disheartening about this is that Most of the church past and most of the church current from that time have deemed what John Darby put together in his theology as the true word of God. I'm just one of those kind of guys that believes that if one man comes up with a doctrine that I as a studier and reader of the Word of God have the right to challenge that. John Darby's no better than me. John Darby was not an apostle. He was just a preacher in the Plymouth Brethren Church. The doctrine that he came up with was so magnetic. I mean, it's almost just incredible that the whole of the church swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. It's amazing to me. And when I study Scripture, I do not find what John Darby found. Let me just say in brief, do I believe in a catching away? Absolutely. Do I believe in an end of all things? Absolutely. Do I believe in a rapture? where some people go up and some people stay here and then they, they start another church here and, and then you have a thousand-year millennial reign in which the Lord comes back to the earth. I can't do any of that because Peter said that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night in which the heavens and the earth will be burnt with fervent heat. That does not allow a thousand year reign on the earth with people who were left over here after a rapture. I saw just the other day. And and it's unique. It's unique to the Christian church. I saw this advertisement. Somebody was talking about end times and get ready for end times. And and they're showing uh, this commercial and people are disappearing. Did anybody else see that? And, and the guy's walking out to his mailbox, and wham, he's gone. And uh, I said, there we go again. You know, about every 20 years we come up with this, this new thing that really is old. Come up with more movies. Come up with more books. More end time stuff. I'm going to tell you something about end times, church. Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you what Jesus said. His apostles were worried about end times. And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which God has in his own care. If it was, he would have told us. But so, let's... I just... I looked around about me years ago and said, who is it that has not accepted the doctrines of dispensationalism and rapture? Who is it? I couldn't find them. Because Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, Fundamentals, Evangelicals, Pentecostals, Apostolics, Holiness, and Liberal, Protestant, and Catholic have all accepted 
John Darby's works. They were inserted into the early American Bible. Dake and Larkin and many others who just built upon this. Let me tell you something. End time study is a distraction of your life coming central in Christ. It's a distraction. Secondly, why do you need to know anyway? And it was always the old thing, you better get ready. You better get ready. The Lord's coming. Well, if you're not serving the Lord and you don't care about Him, you can try and get yourself ready and it's not going to work. The Lord only takes one people. When, when that final sound does happen, that final trump, the voice of God, when it finally does happen, it's going to be the believers of Jesus Christ. It's not people who get, oh man, it's almost in times. Lord, forgive me of my sin so I can... No, 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 no. Those followers of Jesus Christ. Getting awful quiet already, but I'm just getting started. So this false doctrine of rapture and the distraction that it has brought to the church has been more widely accepted than any other doctrinal idea that's been loosed on the church for 2,000 years. Even more persuasive than Tertullian's second century fabrication of a three-personed God. I'm going to let that set on ears for a minute. But I want you to wait until we're done to pass judgment, okay? Let's look at what the scripture has to say. Tertullian came up with an idea, and we teach this in, in first principles. Tertullian came up with an idea that the church did not receive. He called it Trinitas. The early church refused it. In his writings, he said, I came to the church with this idea of Trinitas, and they would not receive me because the church did not teach that. So we go back to the beginning of the apostles and they taught a three-person God. No, they did not. There's nowhere in Scripture that they promoted an idea of a three-peopled person God. It just didn't happen. It wasn't there. Tertullian came up with that fabrication in, in the second century. And so what happens is it fell on the church over a period of time. The church began to accept it begin to accept it. Now, I know that the reading of the Scripture, and this is especially in the English translation, when I begin to study the Greek translation, it becomes so clear to me that there were many insertions into the English translation because those that translated it already had a, a feeling of, of what they believed before they ever translated the Scripture, and they inserted it into the Scripture. But the early apostles did not teach that, but they taught Christ and Him crucified. Can you say amen? And, and so, let me say this. I, I believe that probably the hunger for this eschatology, I call it eschatology mania, you see it on the billboards of churches. It doesn't say, come here, we're going to preach Christ. No, it says we're in times. We're dealing with end times. You can see it all over town. California too. Same thing. People are drawn into that. Drawn into the end time. I'm, I'm not drawn into the end time. I'm drawn in. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get to know the Lord. Today is to walk out your life in Christ. And so I'm not putting off trying to figure out end times. When they come and we see them come, we'll know they're here. You might think, you know. I've never heard anything like that before. Well, go figure. The church just stays in line. Nobody rocks the boat. Let's just stay in line and do what we've done and do what they've done, what handed down to us, and I'm just not that guy. I hope you're not that guy either. But I think it's high time for the godly men now. We've played a lot of games. We've seen a lot of stuff. Acted in a lot of ways, and now it's time for godly men to begin to begin to cry out in the wilderness of phony Christianity 
Prepare the way of the Lord. He wants His church back. We've taught everything but Him. We've taught every doctrine except for Him. We got into every ology except Christology. And now it's time to bring it back. See, the first coming was real clear. And we understand it. We go to Scripture. We know it. Daniel is 490 years from the proclamation to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem until the coming of Messiah. 490 years. We can time it out. It happened exactly. Christ came. Uh, Micah's Ephrata, where he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. We understand it. We know it. It's there. David's line. He is of the David line. He is the king. He is connected with the tribe of Judah. Isaiah's prophecy, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child, and we, we shall call him the Son of the Most High. He, he is born unto us. The prophets taught of him and spoke of him, and we understand. Matthew and Luke tell the historical line of events, line upon line, in the birth of Jesus Christ. So we understand plainly. We understand the birth of the Christ child. The angels even proclaimed him to have come. But the second coming is a question to us. And I think it's due to the background which we've been taught. And so I'm going to touch on that just a little bit. If the church accepts the following ideas, and I'm, I'm going to just say some ideas and, and, and nobody get mad at me. Uh, I already made my disclaimer. But if the church accepts the following ideas, the message of Christ's centrality is in vain. Idea number one is that the Father has a distinct modus operandi that we can know Him by. He is the mighty creator, number one God. Person. The number one God person. The Son is distinct from the Father because of His subservient posture to the number one God. Therefore, He is number two. The Holy Ghost, which is called, I don't use that term, but in the doctrine of the Trinitas, the Holy Ghost is obviously distinct from the other two because His evidence is speaking in tongues. Number three, God person. If we believe that and we teach that, the teaching of Christ's centrality is in vain. I've been laboring for weeks bringing forth the person of our Lord, trying to elevate Him, trying to put Him in a, in a status in our mind that, that, listen, there's no other. I serve Jesus Christ. That's who I serve. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. Like Thomas said, He is my Lord, and He is my God. And I've built on that, and, and we come to the Scriptures in Colossians where Paul, Paul says to the church that, that He is... The first and the last. He's the head of all things. He is preeminent in everything. That His name is above all things. He has ascended unto the highest of the high. He is above the heavens. And so I want to stay on that theme this morning. I think Sabellianism and modalism left us with God being locked into one form or one mode at one time. But I see the Lord high and lifted up, and I see His train filling the temple, and then I see Him coming and dwelling among us. Can you say amen? And so I want to work on this a little bit. This why in this church... We believe in the word called manifestation. Manifestation. That's where we're at. Somebody explain God to us. Well, the only way you're going to know God is through manifestation. And the revelation of who He is in His word. But manifestation 
is the scriptural answer to understanding the only one true God, Yahweh. Manifesting, not modes, not persons, manifestation. We can only know Him. We can only know Yahweh God by the manifesting of His personal glory. And He only does that in two ways. So I'm going to look at those two ways. Everybody okay? It's awful quiet in here. We've preached this many times before, so, you know, buckle up your seatbelt and hang on. It's going to be a little rough theological ride here for a second, but we'll be okay. See, we can't know God through creation. We can't know Him through miracles, signs, and wonders. For sure, He shows His might and His power. Somebody said, I go out and I sit on a hillside and and just see the mountains and see the deer and see the, see the creeks and rivers and the clouds. And there I see God. No, you see his handiwork. You see his might. You see his power. But to as many as received him, he gave them the right privilege to become the children of God. Not received his power. Not received his creative ability. Not receiving a sign and a miracle and a wonder. What did Jesus say? A corrupt, adulterous generation looks for a sign and a wonder. If we have to do a sign and a wonder in here this morning for you to believe God, then, then we're, we're really failing. We're really failing the message. We're really failing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I want to talk about these two ways. And I'm still talking about the second coming, so just hang on. And, and don't judge this thing till I'm done. But God's going to show himself in two ways. Let's look at number one. In the person of Jesus Christ. This is way number one. My understanding in Scripture. The knowledge and the glory of God in the person that are prosopon, King James says, the face of Jesus Christ, but really the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter and sixth verse. We see the glory of God. We see the person of God in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, whereas God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. One of my favorite verses, 1 Timothy 3.16, and God was manifested in flesh. This is where we get this word, manifested. He was seen of angels. Mm -hmm. He was heard by the world. He was received up into glory. The manifested God on earth. The second way that we can know the possibility of knowing God, Yahweh God, is by His indwelling Spirit. John, the fourth chapter, and 24th verse, God is Spirit. And they that worship Him, you're going to worship Him in spirit and truth, or you're not going to worship Him. And then Romans 8 and 9, that Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, this one is not his. I was in a service a couple months ago, and I told you this already, but it, it, it serves repeating. The man's idea and philosophy about God was really strange. But he said, you need to come to accept Jesus Christ. And then you need to get to a point where you accept the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost, the same way that you received Jesus Christ. And I'm like, what do I do now with the scripture that says, if the spirit of Christ does not dwell in you, the spirit, the spirit, everybody say spirit. Two ways that you're going to know the Lord. One by flesh, the other by spirit. That's his only manifestation of who he is. It's not clouds. It's not fire. 
There were things that God did in the Old Testament, not even theophanies in the Old Testament. That is not the way that you are personally going to know God. You're not going to see Him out in the clouds and the heavens. And, and, and so people are looking for a fire tunnel. They're looking for, for glory clouds to come. They're looking for stuff to fall out of the ceiling and, and, and feathers and gold dust. You're not going to know Him that way. That is not the manifestation in which you can know God. The only manifestation you can know Him is in the flesh. And in the spirit. Everybody okay? If you're okay, say amen. So this kind of sets the table for me to talk about the second coming. Corinthians. First, the natural. Then, the spiritual. First, the natural. We don't stay with the natural. We progress to the spiritual. First, Jesus came as a natural man. We accept that as his coming. Amen? His first coming. We all know his first coming. He came as a child. He came as the Christ child. He grew up to be a man. He ministered as Messiah, Son of God. He there took his life and sacrificed it for you and I. We know the man. We have the record of that. We believe that with all of our heart is that God breathed life into the Christ child just like he breathed life into Adam. And if we take that, brother, uh, the, other, the other night talked about Adam and, and the second Adam. And it doesn't really say second Adam, but we know he became a natural man. And man, the word man means or Adam means a dirt man. He's just a man. And Christ became the man first. And he became a living soul on earth, a human being. And that was the first coming. Now I want to talk to you about the second coming. And this many of you have not heard before. Maybe you will go away from here and say, I don't believe that. It's okay. I like Pastor Rod, but I don't believe him. But I want to take you to John, the 14th chapter. Jesus said to, the, to his disciples at one point, he said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to tell you what, John the 14th chapter is one of the keys of the kingdom. You want to find out the key of the kingdom. You want to find out what's going on in the kingdom. You want to find out about Christ. Here, go into John 14. Let me just paraphrase some of the things he said in John 14. I'm going away to prepare a condition. You all have been taught that he's going away to prepare a mansion. It's all in country gospel music. So we know it's true. If that many people sing it, it's got to be true. Have I ever said that mass acceptance does not validify anything in the Bible? Well, everybody preaches about heaven and, and walking on streets of gold and having your own mansion. Well, I'm going away to prepare a condition is what the Greek says. I'm preparing a condition for you that, so that when I come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Mm. I am not going to abandon you, leave you as orphans. I am coming back to you. The one that loves me and keeps my commandments, I will reveal myself to him. Now, most people, most preachers, most, most movements, church movements, denominationalism will get you to John 14 and tell you that that's a picture of heaven. And I rebut that this morning. That is not a picture of heaven. That's a picture of the Lord and His disciples on the last night. And He starts it out by telling them, Don't, don't lose faith. Don't lose courage. Don't be shaken in your heart. Don't be fearful. I'm going away. But the second part of that is, I'm coming back again. Oh, great. This puts it at rapture. The Lord is not at all 
talking about rapture in John 14. He's talking to some scared disciples that are going to lose their leader, their rabbi, their Lord, their God. They don't know where he's going. They don't know what to do. And that's obvious by what happens after his crucifixion. They're afraid. They're in a room. They're, they're waiting. They're looking. They're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. So the Lord is trying to encourage them on the last night of his earthly life. He's not encouraging them about rapture. They're not going to be there for rapture. It's been 2,000 years now, and the catching away has not happened. Is it going to happen? Oh, yes, it's going to happen. Not like John Darby said, but it's going to happen. He's not teaching them about rapture. This is what the church has done. They've, they've taken some of the precious revelations that Christ is trying to give to the church and put them off into heaven somewhere. I'm going to strap on the bags. I'm going to heaven and I'm going to build you a, a mansion in heaven. That is absolutely sacrilegious according to Scripture. I'm going away. But I'm coming back. Is everybody okay with that? That's what he told them. I'm going away. But I'm not going to leave you orphans. The word orphan just simply means they don't have any parents. Don't have a father. I'm not going to leave you fatherless. I'm coming back to you. Oh, this is beautiful then. Oh, Jesus, you're talking about rapture. Okay, so you're not coming back until rapture. So the very words that the Lord says, Behold... Lo, I'm with you always. We can throw that out. When he says, well, two or three meet together in my name, there I am, we'll throw that out too. Because the Lord's only coming back in some distant rapture somewhere in a second coming. No, I'm afraid not. What I'm going to say right now is something you've never heard before. So you can write it down. You can even get mad at me if you want to. The second coming was not rapture. The second coming was his reappearing to his disciples. We're all worried about second coming and that wasn't his second coming at all. Now I want to go to the book of Joel. Everybody ready now? You say, well, pastor, I'm confused enough. Shall we go on? If Jesus claimed that the Old Testament Scripture was talking about him, remember, we've, we've, we've quoted that. We went back and read it. If he claims that the Old Testament is talking about him, how many of you believe the Old Testament was speaking of him? How many believe that the prophets were speaking of him for coming? How many believe that all the prophets were speaking of him? Oh, well, now we only got one yes there. Because we believe, we've been taught that Daniel's talking about our day. Daniel's not talking about our day. He's talking about his day. Talking about Messiah's day. Some of the prophets, they may be speaking about, no, 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 hang on. If Jesus claimed that the prophets of old were speaking about him, does this include the prophet Joel? Let it sink for a second. Well, we'll take Joel out of it. He's doing something else. No, no, wait a minute. Go search the scriptures. You think you have life in them? They speak of me. Okay? Everybody okay? Say amen. So I'm going to take the prophet Joel right now, and I'm going to say he must be speaking about the Lord. Is that a good conclusion? I don't want any heresy of false doctrine here. I'm just, just going by Scripture. So now let's go back and look at Joel just a little bit. Is he speaking about the Lord? Is he speaking about someone else? Is he speaking about another person? Well, let's see here. The 27th verse, and, and we read it, and I'm going to read it again. This clearly speaks of the first coming. We're all about 
verse 28. And in the last days I will pour out my spirit. We've got to set that up. Because verse 27 says this. You shall know that in the midst of Israel, I am. Watch it now. That's a title. And I am Jehovah, your God, and there is no other. I like the people, like Will Rogers said, I have never met a man I didn't like, so I'm saying this. I like the people that will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Have you run into those people? It's because he's doing it in a way that you're going to have to search the Scripture. He doesn't come out there and just say, Hey, I'm God, everybody. And you all bowed at that. No, no. He emptied himself. And he took on the form of a man, form of a servant, and, and did this thing in flesh and in blood. But, but i got to tell you another thing is that in the book of John alone, he used I am 24 times as a personal title. You're not going to find that in your English rendering. But you'll find it in the Greek. Ego, ami. Over and over and over. This is one of the reasons why I love John. He's such a revelator. Over and over and over he says, I am. Who do you think I am is? If I am is not God, we're in the wrong camp. Then Joel said, you'll know because I am will be in the midst of you. It's coming. It's not now. It's coming. I am is going to be in the midst of you. I'm going to call that the first coming. Does everybody agree with that? The Lord on earth saying over and over 24 times in the book of John, I am, I am the bread of life. I am, before Abraham was, I am. He steps on the boat and says, I am, over and over. He says, I am, I am is in the midst of them. Right? And then he clearly speaks in verse 28, and it shall come to pass Afterward. Afterward. After what? After I am is in the midst of you. That's the only thing. There's no historical record mark event that we could put our finger on and say after that. No. It's after he's in the midst. It's after I am is with you. It's after he has become flesh and dwelt among us. It's after he has taken on the fleshly body that he has been manifested, God manifested in the flesh. Afterwards, after that, I will pour out of my spirit, saith the Lord. All ages, all social standings, young and old, rich and poor, handmaidens and servants, and whosoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is fulfilled in the book of Acts, second chapter, 21st verse. And this is that was spoken by the prophet Joel. Not speaking in tongues. Not wonders, signs, and miracles. An outpouring of salvation by the Spirit of God is triggered on the day of Pentecost. That's why Pentecost is so real to us. And, you know, I, I know if you've been in Pentecost, I, I was taught this. Is, is that really Pentecost is a lot about shaking and falling on the ground and, and, and maybe running around the church and and uh, just a whole lot of, you know, outward emotional signs jumping up and down. And I'm okay with jumping up and down. Just don't, don't hit anybody else. I mean, I'm okay with, I'm a little rough with running around the church if you're going to distract people. I don't need that. Go in the back and run around. Jump up and down, lift your hands, cry. That's all good. Motion, we love it. That's, that's great. That's wonderful. 
That is not what Pentecost was about or for. The pouring out of tongues was languages so that they would speak to the nations that were represented there, the proselytes from all over the world that would hear the message of the gospel in their own tongue and take it back to the nation where they came from. And their message was, Jesus Christ is the Savior. This is the essence of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Can he speak with tongues? Absolutely he can speak with tongues. He knows them all. But this is not the evidence of the saving power of Jesus Christ. He came the first time in flesh, and what I'm telling you is he came the second time in spirit. I'm going away, but I'm coming back. Who do you think showed up in Pentecost? It wasn't some other person. They wouldn't have received another person. But it was the same Lord who came that night when they were in the room and He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Spirit of God. And He breathed out of Him into them. If you want to go a little further and look at the word breath, panuma, Spirit. Let me say this, because we cannot any longer know him by the flesh. We only have one access, and that is his spirit. Amen. Paul said, I, I don't know him by the flesh. If Jesus showed up this morning, and he was, you know, obviously if he's wearing a robe and sandals, and I mean, we might be like... <clears throat> But if he showed up like he did any other man, we wouldn't know him by the flesh. Wouldn't know him. But when he opened his mouth, we'd know him by the Spirit. And his Spirit would bear witness with our spirit. Can you say amen? And so we only know him by his Spirit. And those that do not have the Spirit of Christ, they're none of his. I want to read you something that maybe you haven't seen before. Just one verse, and I'm going to close. I didn't preach very long because I didn't want to bring so much information that, you know, it get garbled up in your mind. So in John 14, chapter and 17, verse, Jesus was prophesying to his disciples. He said, when the spirit of truth comes. Does everybody know who the truth is? We'll have to go back to the sixth verse. I am the way, the, the truth. Is there another truth? So when Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, who's it, what's he talking about? He is standing before them as the flesh of truth. But the flesh is going to leave. And the Spirit is going to come back. You'll wish for a day that you could see the Son of Man, but you're not going to get to see Him because He's going to be gone. But, but, listen to how this lays out. You have the first and second coming here. When the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not perceive who He is or knows Him, but you know Him. Here's the first and second coming. Because He abides alongside of you, and will be in you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. For, for years and years, since I was a little kid again, we've been saying, Jesus, come into my heart. So what's he going to come in? The flesh man, and he's going to try and get into my heart as the flesh? That can't happen. But when we say, Jesus, come into my heart, what are we saying? Your spirit, come into my life. Come into my heart, Spirit of God. Come into my heart, my life. And so we have the first coming, which is the flesh man. He says, because he abides alongside of you right now. You know who he is. He abides alongside of you. But in him is the fullness of the godness dwelling bodily. And he, he abides alongside of you, but will be. In you, 
Are we talking about rapture again way out there? No, no, we're talking about His coming to His church one more time. I want to tell you this morning. Benny Hinn said, I'm going to record it. Jesus is going to walk on my platform back and forth, and I'm going to show Him to the world. That's an idiot. That's just an idiot. I'm going to put it that way. You're going to know Him. The same one that was flesh is the same one that is spirit. And that's why we worship Him, because we only have one name. Come on, we got one name given un, unto us under heaven. There's just one name, say amen. Not a bunch of different names, you know, we're going to call this one, that one. Either. We got one name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That name is higher, we said it this morning, it's higher than any other name. You can't call a higher name than Yeshua Jesus. There just isn't any. You could try it calling Holy Ghost. You can try it calling Father. But I'm going to tell you right now that the Spirit of Christ, which was in Him, if it dwells in you, He's going to quicken your mortal body and you are going to be changed under the power of His Spirit in your life. God is continually changing us by the power of the Spirit of Christ in us. Thank God for it. Can you say amen? We couldn't experience the first coming. We just read about it. We enjoy it. We love it. We hang on every word of our rabbi. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, but our rabbi's words will never pass away. But then, he wasn't going to be outside the disciples anymore. He's going to be in them. Wow. That's an amazing thing. If we had traveled with Jesus all those years and, and saw him and listened to him, and he was our friend, our rabbi, our, our father on earth, we, just everything to us, and he's going away. But when he comes back, he's going to be way more personal than what he was in the flesh. He was one place at one time. He put his arm around one disciple at a time. He took certain disciples and talked with them and blessed them he, certain places and certain people but now my friend the spirit of the lord this is why i must go away because if i do not go away the spirit cannot come and so we have the spirit of our lord jesus christ the second coming not about rapture it was about the spirit of christ being birthed into the church on the day of pentecost Can everybody say amen Did anybody have fun this morning say amen Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. We're going we're gonna to go uh, retire here. But let me say this, that um, at one point the apostle said, he said, we've got some things to say that are, are weighty, but they're difficult to understand in the flesh, of, flesh mind. And so sometimes the Lord challenges us in that flesh mind to put it away and receive his spiritual things. Amen? And so we just receive from the Lord. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. You've been so good to us, Lord. All I've tried to do this morning is lift you up. Lord, where other doctrines and other ideas and other things have brought you down, Lord, they put you in a place that you never should have been. Lord, you are preeminent in all things ascended high above everything you are preeminent and lord so we try and put you in that holy place you your spirit which is holy living inside of us and we thank you lord jesus this morning i pray that you just touch every life that was here and ministered in jesus name amen 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 we're gonna we're gonna go have uh, lunch now lord just bless our fellowship and our food. And may we, Lord, just bask in your presence a little while. Thank you, Lord.